not acting as licensed therapists or providing therapeutic services. We are providing a safe space for people with bipolar disorder to share their stories uninterrupted. Stories may mention the use of drugs, alcohol, and or suicidality. If you feel triggered and in need of help, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 988. My name is Sabrina. And I'm Gritty Gem, and this is the Bipolar AF Podcast. Jem here. Today's episode is actually about me. Not intentionally. Uh, we actually had someone else and Sabrina's not here. And the audio of the person um, was not that great. And originally the first episode was actually going to be my story, but I really was feeling blah almost. And so and it's it's a long journey. It's been going on. I'm 38 now. Um, I was diagnosed in my mid-20s. And I am, I am personally on Wellbutrin as my antidepressant and Lamictal as my antipsychotic. And those two together have been my my stability um, mentally. Uh, I definitely had other drugs that just did not work for me. Um, I resisted drugs for a long time, but my journey is a really long one because um, my problems really started at like 14. So 24 years ago is like this like defining moment in my life. And it was a family moment. It was a very difficult moment. I, it was a phone call between my parents and I overheard things and I shouldn't have. And my parents were in the process of separating and it was just a lot of chaos and it's 14. It's like puberty was about, it's like hitting. My parents were separating and it was just a lot and emotionally. And, and then this very traumatic experience event happened and everything shifted after that. It was, I became so angry about everything. And I really actually turned to music as my way of escaping. Um, I, I hung out with the gothic lesbians as they were called in middle school. I mean, I was an oddball kid and I'm still an oddball adult. And so, um, I am not a lesbian, but I do go to goth dance night, so, um, but I think that's where it really kind of began at this moment. It's such a defining moment, and I've thought about this moment so much in my life, um, so that, that, but at 14, without, without any sort of debriefing or anything no one knew anything I just became very upset and angry about everything and no one asked me why I just turned to music I actually just would put on my headphones and turn on my my cd player with my 30 second of anti-skip which was amazing at the time um and I would listened I got really into like punk rock music and I got really into like just learning about like just um like this is like a really kind of like a beginning of like emo days too so like I I, I mean like the the 2000 early emo days like <clears throat> and so I got really really into music and I remember I would just always listen to my headphones as my way of escaping and um, throughout that time, though, I had a very chaotic relationship with my parents from 14 until 18. It was just absolute chaos in my household. Like it was there was to this day and I, this is still ongoing. There was very large, large scale emotional abuse on my my um, I'm going to say, quote unquote, father Um from him on him it's emotional abuse emotional neglect and I wasn't aware of it at the time but 
Um, it was the silent treatment. It was him yelling. We just basically yell and scream at each other. And it was just, I was so angry at him for hurting my mother. But like, no one asked me. No one asked me why I was upset. No one asked me anything. They just assumed that I was just like this moody teenager. And, and for, yes, it's true. I mean, that's a teenager. I call teenagers um, adult toddlers. <laughs> um, neurologically, very similar. Uh, but I really had no one there to like help me figure out what I was going through. No one... It was just a lot of fighting. There was no protective communication. There was no um, conflict resolution. It was just a constant. I would go home. I would. We lived in an apartment, which is very unusual for a family, but we were just very poor for the area. And so, but it was a very nice area. So my parents wanted us to stay there because of the school system, nice area, and. So I used to go home and so they'd be in the living room and I used to go home and pray and like, I'm not religious, but like pray that my dad wasn't there because he would be still quote unquote dad and he would just be sitting there and I would have to have these interactions that were so forced and so fake that I could not even deal with them anymore. It just became an emotional burden of like, I was always in the wrong. I was like told that I was always in the wrong. And I definitely had spoken up as a teenager to my, to my mother. And like, I, 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 I do say that I do have a, <clears throat> I do have a relationship with my mother now, but it has been very complicated as a, as I've gotten older. I was always very close to my mother as a teenager. Um, it's kind of like, I, she tried her best. Um, unfortunately, she did not intervene when I did actually speak up and did side with him. And, and, uh, and I still say that because that's still my perception. Like to this day, she sided with him instead of siding with her own child. And for me, that was very hurtful. And it made me not want to talk because it's, to me, it was, if I talk, no one's going to listen anyways, because if my mother isn't going to listen to me, you know, no one else is going to listen to me. And the conflict was so intense. The, the fighter, the, the fight or flight was so intense that, you know, I would just, every time I would get home, I just shut down just to, just to like, just to survive. I was, it was just surviving and I was a really good student until a certain point and then everything just tanked everything the grades went down everything went downhill uh, my emotions I was so depressed I mean I mean I was I was I happen to be a very good kid and and I think one of the things that really helped me is that I didn't get into drugs or alcohol um, as a teenager, I, I, I do say that, like, I've had this, like, life where I've had this really bad conflict in my life, or, like, a home life that was very conflicted and very chaotic as a teenager, but I also had a really good support system in other places. I had a, like, for me, it was, I had a really good high school sweetheart boyfriend who was just, like, a big, a really good rock for me. And we met at church, so I'm not religious in any capacity, but just church as a teenager was, to me, it was a social thing, and I was forced to go by my mom, so, and it, but to me, it was social, and it gave me such a, like, it made me, like, meet people that came from really good um, households, I guess, like, that didn't have conflicts in them, like that we did, that to my knowledge, um, I mean, every household has secrets, but I think that it gave me like an idea of what stability could look like. 
So, um, I did see it as a teenager. I just didn't live it as much. Um, and this, this does come into play later on in my life of, um, seeking chaos in my life. Um, but then, you know, at 18, there was like, so for 14 to 18, there was just like, it was the beginning of it. The pot was starting to stir the family, the conflicts. It was there. Like I wasn't talking to my father. Like there was three years that we didn't even say a word to each other and had to live with each other. The tension was so thick in that place, in that household. And no one did anything to stop it. No one. And as a teenager, I don't know. This is a normal thing to me. I don't know anything different. And I, I know I just said that I, I had like examples as a church and uh, families and households there. But subconsciously, I, I didn't realize that that's like it. It did actually invade my brain once until I like was much older, and I was like, oh, okay, I have seen this before, but. At 18, there was this, like, moment that also changed, and it was the moment that I was, like, so depressed that I was, this was, like, back in the early AOL days, it was, internet was still very, very more new, I mean, I was talking to my friend on AIM, I must have been, and, um, and we were just chatting. It was a Friday night, and it was just a random night, Friday night. And I must have said something to him. I was really depressed. I was really down. I was really like suicidal. I was having like suicidal ideations, and like, and I didn't know what to do. And I must have said something. I really don't remember what I said enough to trigger him to actually call the police. And so this was actually twenty years ago which is so unheard of. It was not a normal experience. I don't remember what I said, but um, I it was a Friday night and it was kind of late and I was talking to my friend Patrick um, and I really, I really wish I remembered what I said to like some, to like, to make him feel like he needed to call the police and because that's all he knew. And he was actually 17 at the time. He was younger. Um, and he lived a half hour away. So it wasn't like, and it was, again, this is such a different time in like how we communicated. Like there wasn't texting, wasn't really a thing. Um, you know, we had AOL, <laughs> we had AIM. And, and so all of a sudden it was a Friday night and all of a sudden the cops just show up at the door and no idea why. And, uh, and I'm 18 at the time. So it's like terrifying and I have no idea. And the cops talk about how my friend had called and was worried about me. And they he said that I needed to go to a mental health facility and and this was a very traumatic night um and it was just it was very traumatic for a number of reasons because um for context my mother was actually out of town she was in Boston coming back um and she was flying to Burbank um and so we had to go pick her up and this being the time where cell phones really weren't necessarily as common were not was not even necessarily wasn't even as common my mother didn't have a cell phone at the time so it was impossible to get a hold of her so we were supposed to leave he was supposed to leave my father was supposed to go leave to pick her up pick my mom up at the airport but because the cops had come i had ruined his plans as he told me um, and that I, it obviously, well, this, this it caused a fight between my father and I, and the, the, because the police basically essentially told me that I could go with them or I could go with my parents and, but they have to go tonight to a facility. 
or to seek some sort of mental health like treatment and there's only there's it was a very chaotic event because police don't normally show up again and 20 years ago mental health treatment was just not even this was just not even the same um and so i opted to go with my parents even though i probably would have rather gone with the cops but <laughs> i don't like cops so <laughs> um but i that was a very traumatic night because that was the night that was there was a lot of screaming and yelling and because my the two things that really affected that was that was the night that um uh as i was told that i was faking it by my my quote unquote father um that my mental health was my uh, mental my depression my sadness and this was just uh for me to gain attention to um you know seek attention and this is my this is what I want to do. And, and in reality, that was literally the furthest from the truth. And he said that basically he didn't believe that I had any sort of mental health issues and that basically I was just seeking attention. And again, furthest from the truth. And I wasn't the call one to call 911 on myself. I was not the one who wanted to be there. Um, so eventually the cops do eventually leave. We go pick up my mother. And then we have to drive to a facility that was like 30 minutes, that was like 30 minutes of north of where we lived. So it was like an hour and an hour plus drive from the airport in um, Burbank. And so that was obviously a huge quote unquote inconvenience for him to have to deal with that that day. Um, and so that was one of the big turning points. And that's, so I, we went to the facility. I was able to kind of finagle things. And, and since I was there with my parents, um, you know, they were like, I, I was actually talking about like how it tests and things on Monday or something um, that they would, let me go and the promise of like going to therapy and things like that. And in the time between like 14 and 18, like when my parents had like separated, they actually got back together. They're still married. Um, they actually had gone to couples counseling and obviously they resolved a lot of their issues. Um, but they never got family therapy. It was just them. And so this was the first attempt to, for me to get a lot of therapy um, or a lot of help or, finally start up so I actually when at 18 I went to the therapist that they went to as a marriage counselor because of the family marriage therapist and I obviously she did not inter bring up any part of what I she knew about my parents or anything or but it was it made more sense because Shuri knew part of like the, the the reason why I was having so many issues um and she knew way more than and was able to better direct me and had like such a comp like a better understanding about what my parents went through than I would go through so that actually really helped me and it was even then that was even funnier is like you know it was it was like it my father quote-unquote I still say quote-unquote because it really is not a father to me um that how much I'm costing them money like and it's how expensive this therapy is and it's like another inconvenience how dare you because mental health treatment really was not covered by insurance at this time it was definitely very much out of pocket um even as an adult even when I had insurance I still ended up paying out of pocket a lot of times so but um I digress. And so after a while I would I went to that therapist, everything um things got better. Not at home per se, but my my like my ability to kind of like function in life. I mean I, I like broke up with like end of high school I had I was a year into college and I was so burnt out and I was like flunking out of school. I had just broken up with my high school sweetheart essentially. And 
my world was like chaos at that moment. And, and so though I had lost my job at 19, um, due to a layoff, it was, it was, a, it wasn't a very important job. It was just, um, and so at 19, I was like, what am I doing with my life? I hate my parents. I hate living here. I don't hate my parents. I hate my mom. I, I hate my dad, but, and hate is such a strong word. I strongly dislike and choose to not acknowledge um, anymore in my life. That's how far this has gone. Um, we are 24 years into this battle of emotional abuse. Um, so at 19, I actually go and from Los Angeles and move to New York City with a one-way ticket, a backpack, $200, a Jansport backpack, and it was September 1st, 2004. Um, it was a Wednesday, because I told my mom on a Monday that I was said to her, I was like, I, I had like nothing in LA for me. I had nothing. I couldn't think of anything. I didn't want to get a job there and get stuck there, and I didn't want to go to school, and I didn't want to live with my parents, and it just seemed like the most logical thing to me at the time is just, I felt better from therapy. I'd gone to therapy for a while. I wasn't going to therapy anymore at that time. And I just, I moved, I moved and I, I ran away and I got a job the next day and I lived my life for two and a half years, just like escaping the years of trauma I had just been through. And leaving and going across country and again this is not the time of technology where everyone was so connected so for me I was able to like kind of start to to heal a little bit I end up being in a long-term relationship right away um and so and I had a good job and 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 I didn't drink or anything and then um Everything was okay. Everything was kind of on par. It was responsible. It was all like, and then 2022 kind of hits and I'm just like super like depressed and like I had an emotionally abusive boyfriend. He would, he would like pinch, he would like make comments about my weight. He would like just make me feel really terrible about myself. And so I think that's one of the things that kind of triggered a lot of the future um, of what would happen to me in my in my twenties. I I don't he had nothing to be like oh this is a hundred percent him no. I think that it was a small sliver of like I was willing to accept the emotional abuse because that's it was so subtle to it was so subtle. Um, because the lot like the relationship was pretty okay otherwise, but um, at the time, but anyway, so after we had dated for two years, my boyfriend and I had broken up, and I broken up with him, and I was living in New York City, and I kind of just was like, I have been such a good kid for so long, and I've been, you know, an honor roll student. I've like I'm living in New York City. I'm 21, 22 years old. I, like, was not into drugs or alcohol, and, and so I was, like, time to go wild, <laughs> and it really was, like, a really wild time in my life of, like, drinking, and, like, drinking, I'm really starting to, like, actually like alcohol, because before that I never did, and so, and my, both of my parents, <laughs> both of my my parents had not, were not drinkers or I didn't see them drink. My mom especially was a never drinker. I've never seen my mom drink to this day in my life. Um, and so, um, it was kind of just like go wild. It was 2006, 2006 or so. And it was New York city. And it was a lot of just staying out until, three or four in the morning and going to work at seven thirty in the morning and going home and napping and just like total neglect on the body and the mind and just drinking everything away. Um, and that, and the drinking away really just destroyed a lot of things 
and it led to me eventually having like a big mental breakdown and leaving New York City at 22 and deciding in my bipolar craziness before I even knew to backpack Europe. I'm going to go and I'm going to take and sell all my stuff and get rid of it all and go and backpack Europe and not have a job and be homeless and figure it out. And at 22, that's what I did. Uh, I mean, I started in Ireland and I went all the way to Turkey and I went back to Ireland and all the way in between us. And, and, and it was a couple months and it was, and it was definitely an experience. I was by myself. I, like I said, I had like a Samsung thin phone that had a little bit of internet, but it wasn't very good. And I was, you know, like, it was very difficult to type. And <laughs> anyways, so I, after I backpack Europe though, I come back and I have to go live with my parents because I have no money. I'm 22. I am so not interested in living in California again, but I have nothing else. I have no, I had dropped out of like community college, um, with my 1.92 GPA. I'm raising the roof for that because, um, everything tanks. I, and you know, that 1.92 GPA is quite comical now. Um, and and it was because of the uh, emotional the the turmoil I was having in my life. Um, so I go back to California and I last and it was chaos in the household still. Um, and it was swept under the rug again. Um, we pretended that it wasn't a thing anymore. That like none of my teenage years had happened and like everyone was happy and dandy in reality it wasn't we still got my father quote unquote got in still in that got still got in screaming matches and um then at in my mid-20s i was like i'm gonna move to seattle um because the recession had hit the recession had just started hitting and um i actually worked for um a temp company um, and that I was contracted out to Countrywide, which I, I know a lot, maybe I'm definitely dating myself. Countrywide was the company that provided the largest subprime, um, the largest amount of subprime mortgages. So one of the reasons, one of the reasons why the, uh, not all of it, but one of the, one of the, one of the main companies of why the recession hit. So, I knew for a while what was coming and the writing was on the wall. We used to joke every Wednesday was, um, was a layoff day. And what I did there was in accounting and it was very, it wasn't to anything to do with any mortgages. I actually worked in accounting to deal with, um, branch related expenses. So I never worked anyway in any way near with, uh, people or customers or, mortgages. So I knew the writing was on the wall when I saw the branches starting to shut down. We all knew it was coming and um, we saw it. And uh, when Bank of America got bought, bought them out, I was there. So, but I had jumped ship right before, really before everything really finally ended. And I decided to go back to Massachusetts with, to see, spend time with my grandmother because she was um living by herself and she had always lived here and we were always really close um and lived with her for a while in my mid-20s it was definitely it was just like going to shows going to like see bands staying out um drinking and then my mid-20s it was like i really got into like the boston music scene really became friends with like a lot of people went to shows all the time like every night um i would see like the same people out all the time and just be drunk every time. I'd be hungover at ev like every day. And at the time, I moved to Boston. The recession had hit. I was gonna originally move to San Francisco, but with the recession and everything, I was just like, I can't. I need to stay here. Um, I got a job. I got a a pretty good job. Um, and so, and it 
was a job that paid me well enough and I like was super flexible with me and a lot of things, including how I dressed and how I looked. And, and so I stayed there and I originally was like, Oh, I'll just stay in Boston for like a year or two. And still here. So, and, but I really had like, in my twenties, I really had like a stable job. I kind of had like a stable place to live. Finally, like I started to make friends and like, that's kind of like when things really kind of started to hit the fan. Um, cause I was definitely starting to drink more heavily. I was like really starting to feel like that I'm making friends and I needed alcohol and to, to become friends with these people. And, uh, and so I definitely would wake up every day, like hungover. I would go to work. Um, I would like stumble into work. I would never be late. <laughs> uh, or if I was late, I was very minuscule late, but I would never miss a day. Um, and so I kind of just functioned. I survived for my mid twenties. And then at 25, I had like a lot of suicidal ideations. I was having, I was crying every night. I was like getting drunk every night and calling up people and be like, I'm so sad, like everything. And it was just like, it was a very crazy time and it was, it was very self-imposed too. Like I was the one who was drinking, but it was to numb a lot of my feelings. Um, and eventually I, the night that I got help was I was coming back from a show in Austin at rug road and I, it was February and I was wearing knee highs and a, like this cute skirt, a cute dress. Um, and it was so cold and it was, it was February and it was like, and I was not dressed for the weather. Like I was so cold and it was like the middle of the night before Ubers and things like that. And so I was walking home to North Cambridge, um, which is a good little walk. Actually, it's a couple of miles. And again, not prepared to, to weather the storm like that and to be dre- I wasn't dressed appropriately. So uh, I remember just, being so sad and crying the whole way. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is so insane. Like, and I was like, I'm crying every day. I'm just, and like, I'm miserable. Like I'm always miserable. And so it was a Sunday night. And so it was like one o'clock or so. And I caught my friend, like I finally get home, thankfully safe and sound, even though I could have been frozen. <laughs> um, I go and I call up my friend Shannon and like her and her now her boyfriend at the time, I, I don't know if they're still married. Um, Brett, I was like, Hey, listen, like I'm having suicidal ideations. Like, like I'm feeling suicidal. Um, and can you just like take me to the hospital? Um, and she's like, yeah. So she gets, cause she was like the only person I knew with a car. And that's actually one of the reasons why I called her. Cause I was like, because anyone else, we would have to get, like, a taxi. Because it was, the tea didn't run at night. And it's like, the, again, this is before Ubers and, and like, Lyfts. So I would have had to call a taxi. And I didn't like interacting with people so um, that I didn't know. Especially in a situation like this, I didn't want to call the cops. I didn't want an ambulance. Like, I didn't want the hoopla. Because I knew from my previous experience what the hoopla could be. Anyways, I um, we eventually go to Mount Auburn Hospital. Um, and it's a Sunday night and it's going into Monday morning and they evaluate me. The social worker evaluates me and, um, they're like, yeah, you're, you're going to go on a nice vacation. (laughs) So it's 25. Yeah. 25. Um, I got a lovely, uh, ticket to a psychiatric unit where I, uh, Spent five days, four nights, and I was lucky to get a bed. But um, with that said, that's where I met my psychi- my psychiatrist. That's kind of like where the journey really, really began. Um, really began of like my healing process. So that that in itself is like it was. That's from eighteen from fourteen to 25, 11 years was just like this huge amount of chaos in my life of trying to figure out what was wrong with me. Like 
and it wasn't until I was 25 and really like I mean I was so not sure of what was happening to me I have this experience and and I was very quiet and I'm a very quiet person normally I'm very very quiet um I don't really say a lot and I actually had a nurse come up to me when she was doing my vitals it was like the third day or fourth day in and she said she said to me she said why are you here she's like why I like I don't understand um because I'm not like obviously here um like you're not you're not like the normal kind of quote-unquote the normal like person that she would expect um a lot of combativeness and I honestly just spent my time coloring and just being like I just but like I told her that it was my inability to deal with or cope with my feelings. And that's what, like, and I was like, that's so true. Because I, I, like, I, that was, like, the first time I ever said that to myself. Like, out loud. And I ended up getting out. And it was my Nana's birthday. And it was and this was so yeah this was 13 years ago and then I went to and after that I saw my psychiatrist twice sometimes twice a week for a couple weeks and I got really lucky though I I started taking like I started seeing the same psychiatrist that I saw in unit outside and I had an employer that like knew my situation because I had to call them on Monday morning and I had to say hi, hi, I, as I, I called my, 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 uh, my boss at the time, um, who was my, the controller of the company, Papa Harvey, as I lovingly called him as, he was like a grandfather figure to me. I said, and he was very kind about it. I said, Hey, like, listen, like I called him up. I was like, I'm not doing great here. I will. I'm not sure when I'll be out. He's like, come, we'll see you when we'll see you. (laughs) And honestly, like, if I didn't have the support that I had as in my 20s, like, and learn to start, like, building that support, I would never be where I'm at today. So in my 20s, I started, like, mid-20s, I really started getting, like, this help in. And then um, over time, I would, like, I went to therapy a little bit less. Um, I became a little less resistant to drugs. Then I finally, like, after a while, like, it took a couple of years, even with my psychiatrist, of, like, going back and forth with these, like, signs and symptoms of, like, I had massive amounts of debt. I had, like, huge numbers of, like, sexual partners um, in my early 20s. I was, like, inability to cope feelings, my, like, my extreme highs and lows. And so we finally realized <laughs> that I'm bipolar. And, and that's, and I don't think I ever remember him saying, like, oh, like, you're bipolar, and, like, this is it. Like, this is, like, the rest of the, your life. Like, I mean, I've I've actually, I've actually just, I just was, like, okay, like, now how do we, how do we work on this? Um, I was really resistant to drugs at first. Um, I really wanted to see if there was a more, just a natural ability to live um, without having these signs and symptoms. I learned real quick. After a while, after I really thought about it and really thought about like, okay, well, my my natural ability to cope isn't working. So, and I've tried a bunch of other things. So, um, I w- eventually did go on meds and continued to see psychiatrists and eventually gained in stable relationships, built better support environments. And then like my mid-20s and my early 20, 30s, I definitely had, like, a time of, like, I still, I was actually an alcoholic for a really long time, and I still say I'm an alcoholic, but I was very complacent. I had, like, a friend group that I was always really, I was always spending time with, just being, like, and the main activity was drinking, and, um, and that's all they talked about is, like, going drinking, so, um, and I talked about that in therapy a lot, about, like, and with my psychiatrist, and, and how, like, I know that a lot of things that I do are very toxic. 
And I've spent year I spent years talking about this, but it like took so long to make all these changes in my life because of of who I am, and I know that I just can't change things at a record pace because it for my psyche it's just too much and it overload it overloads me to be honest. Um, and so eventually things really start to stable out. My alcoholism like it really does take a change, like a turn. I think, you know, you just kind of start growing out of things you change and my perspective of things change. And, um, I think my next kind of like kind of big things were, you know, in my therapy sessions with like, you know, starting to build like goals and things like that. And I had always like my first kind of like big goal was always to kind of go back to school or like things like that and like be a productive member and like not let my alcoholism being bipolar like make me a stagnant person because it was and it's like one of the leading reasons and like it's it really is on myself as well um but I really wasn't that type of person before um I really was never that type of person um my mom jokes that um she still tells the joke that I um have to be first at everything because my kindergarten teacher had said I had to be first at everything. Um, I was always an overachiever and I, and for a long time I lost myself and that was something I dealt with a lot in therapy of like, I used to be this overachieving person, but here I am like super depressed. Like I feel like that I'm stagnant. I'm not living up to my potential. Like I'm, crying all the time like this is all these things and like I was like I know I'm not that person I don't have to be that person but how do I find that person though that that I want to be anyways so moving on to just kind of like more towards the end um I definitely in my in my 30s I met my partner got married um and still on my medication so but medication I had to like play around with I was on Zoloft for I wasn't really necessarily a fan of Zoloft because Zoloft what to me um caused uh a lot of numbness for example if you told me that everyone I knew died in a car crash and I was on Zoloft, I would never have cared. I wouldn't have cried. Nothing would have happened. I was a zombie. Um, Circle made me really tired. Um, and I didn't like that. So, and I fought a lot with medication and I am glossing so much over so much of my history of years of partying and these wild nights of, um, of allowing myself to not take care of myself for months on end. Um, and for a really long time, not allowing myself to heal. Um, and there's so much more to my, my relationships with my parents. Um, there was a no contact period for, a number of years until recently and then um it's a still an unresolved issue within my family of like this conflict between my my quote-unquote father and I um but I have tried to repair the relationship I've definitely have um there's been a lot of healing though in that aspect the years and years and years and years of years of therapy um and that is what has helped having emotional support, finding a really positive, um, outlet. So as I've gotten older, um, and my drinking has subsided quite a bit, I chose, um, cycling. I mean, I have, I'm one of those people that has all those different bikes for different reasons, Um, and that to me was really important because instead of drinking until 5am, 
Um, instead of drinking until 5 a.m., I now sometimes cycle at 5 a.m. sort of a thing. It's not about, it's a, it was about replacing the negative with the positive. And to me, the positive outweighs the negative so much more. Um, and a lot of the drinking ended, a lot of it, um, right around the pandemic. I'm not going to say I'm perfect and I wasn't, but the real progression and decline came in, um, the pandemic because leading up to the pandemic, I was like super miserable and I was still going out and hanging out with friends. I had this like social expectation Oh, how I feel. That it was a social expectation to go out. <coughs> and I'm glad I no longer do that because um, I was just exhausted. I was in school at that time too. And my life had really changed. And I was really holding on to a life that I had known for so long. That it was so hard to let go. Because... Um, my, and I spent a lot of time with a lot of these people for a long time and, and, uh, I had definitely changed quite a bit. Everyone had changed. I had changed every, everything had changed. Um, especially with the pandemic and things like that. So, um, I personally now cycle more than I drink. Um, I still am on medication. I say that, you know, I went to therapy for many years, many, many, many years. I'm currently not in therapy and there's a couple of reasons for it. Um, and I'm still on my medication through my PCP. Um, because I had a very long discussion with her on why, like I could no longer see my psychiatrist and, um, which was very difficult. Um, but even that I had hit like an end to that sort of dynamic or that relationship. It wasn't, it was no longer benefiting me, um, in the way that it was going to progress me mentally, mental health wise. Um, and I've actually done other therapies. I've done, I'm a big advocate for brain spotting. I think everyone should have, everyone should do brain spotting. Um, and brain spotting really is really kind of let go a lot of the things that I was holding on to physically for the years. I still have very, very bad anxiety at times. So I'm actually a big advocate for, um, I won't go too far into it, but I do have to say that it's been a big benefit for me. I do, I'm a daily user. Um, it does not affect my everyday life in any capacity. Um, it's been more of a resource for me. Uh, it's not for everyone and for me, it's been really helpful and I'm really grateful to have it. And I wish that more people had it available to them. Um, not saying that anyone and everyone should, um, but that and brain spotting was really beneficial. And yeah, it's just been, it's been such a, like a long journey and I've had, I went to school in my mid thirties, um, kind of in a bipolar rage of like, I knew that I was in like a dead end career kind of a thing where I knew I wanted to do so much more, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I, I just literally jumped ship at a job that I was making really good money at. And, and this is pre pandemic. Um, and so I went back to, so I, I remember I was just at this job and I was miserable and I was like, you know what? I had thought about going back to school for years and years and years 
and I was like, I'm just going to do it. And I quit my job and within three weeks, like was back in school at community college full time, like part time actually. And, uh, yeah, I've, I mean, I had a, so much support from my partner and without him, there would literally none of this would be happening. Like I would never be who I am today. Um, because I was able to go to school full time and was able to kind of compact everything. And, um, you know, so I got, ended up getting three degrees in five years. So it was very, very intense during those five years. And I worked part of those years. I didn't work like full time all the time. Um, my intern, I had internships that I had to prioritize over working. Um, there would be periods where I was super depressed. Um, but for the most part, I really, like, my coping skills now are night and day. I mean, I don't have a therapist now, a psychiatrist now. Um, but that's okay because I have the ability to cope and deal with my feelings with, um, and know if that I start drinking, it's a sign of things. I have a tendency to go off my meds. I'm the worst about my meds and I really need to stop because once you go off your meds, everything's fine. And then shit hits the fan every time. So I'm better about my meds. I always say that but I gotta be better. Um, it's something I definitely still struggle with. I'm not even close to that one, um, being perfect on that one. But overall, like, I feel like my stability is definitely a privilege. I always worry about what if, like, a big catastrophe happens in my life. Um, but at that point, too, I learned that when I'm really sad or I really need, like, what I really need in that moment, how to express my feelings. And that's because of, um, you know, even though I'm, like I said, a therapist now, I just have five years of, like, very intense schooling as well to learn about family dynamics and and psychology and sociology. And all my degrees are those are all the, like, kind of the things that back those, those degrees. So, but on that, I mean, I don't know at all, uh, not even close, but I feel like that I have the ability to cope enough for me right now. Not saying that I think everyone should be in therapy. I think therapy is the best thing ever. I just personally know that I won't be able to go to a therapist at all times in my life. And so this is actually a time for me to, um, to, to really give it another go because there's been times where I wasn't in therapy for like a year or two and it was because I would be like, Oh, I feel better. And then something will happen and shit, it would hit the fan every time because I wasn't on medication. I wasn't going to therapy. So my therapy isn't just like, oh, I went to therapy and I've been in therapy for 12, 13 years. No. There'd be times where I didn't go for a while. I mean, it was like going to the gym for me. And I, I really hate the gym. But I would be like, oh, I don't want to go. I hate talking. Um, and at certain points, you know, but after every therapy session, I would be like, okay, I'm fine. Like, that was great. I needed to cry. Um you know, stop resisting, um, get some mental help, mental health help. Um, but after I really like started to like gain better healthy habits, um, the cycling thing is the cycling weed and the weed thing actually go hand in hand. Um, so, but the cycling thing has been so important to me because, uh, it's my therapy, I'd say. Uh, I don't, I can go on a ride and I will go and I'll start crying and I will 
and within five minutes I'm like I forgot why I was crying or like I processed it like kind of like emotionally in that moment and and then it's not saying that I fully processed it I feel like that I processed that what I needed to process in that moment and I could cry later on I could maybe be over it I don't know but like it's about changing that that narrative of like oh sitting on a couch and eating ice cream and whatever and kind of dwelling in it and but with exercise I I start to cry but my my body's my body actually just naturally just the exercise just like the endorphins and the dopamine of just like riding and all of that just changes so I actually really like writing because especially when I'm sad I know it sounds really weird but um because that's when I get my best thinking because I'm in a moment of I'm just focusing on in that moment that present moment and I'm thinking about what's around me yes but I'm also only thinking about like these thoughts my feelings and maybe listening to music well I'm always listening to music so um I'm I know I'm missing tons of my story I'm sure my story jumped around I'm 38 now I'll be 39 um uh you know I still struggle this this whole podcast came out of a manic rage after grad school um of just not knowing what I wanted to do, it was it seriously seriously came down to that. Like I, like I didn't know what to do after grad school because I was so more unconventional, and I just, I just felt like it was like impossible for me. And I know that sounds really weird, but it just was didn't feel right. Nothing felt right, and um. And I think that's something that I've recognized. I've spent so much time, like, with self-analysis and critical thinking and having to, like, learn to build those skills that I feel that I choose not to ignore them anymore or choose to really um, figure it out sooner rather than later, if I guess that makes sense. I mean, um, that's pretty much it. I'm sure I'm missing a ton of my journey. I'm so sorry for skipping around. Maybe I can write, I always joke that I can write a whole memoir. I have very complicated, very, very complicated friendship histories that, you know, I didn't even get into. Um, and the family dynamic with my father didn't even get into. I mean, my relationships with my my past relationships with men have been very 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 complicated a lot of the time so but it's all been a journey and it's been so crazy um but now like I really think that I'm like a really it's like I've been a really dope ride like I've backpacked Europe I mean I cycle long distances for fun and I like to look at art and I've been around the world looking at art museums and because I'm just really more spontaneous and I'm not I don't really care what other people think because I'm not on social media um and I really despise it to be honest and and part of my mental health journey was to not be on social media which was also curing of a lot of things so but um yeah I think I'm done and next episode will come out next Wednesday. And uh, oh, and don't forget you can follow us on TikTok at the um, Bipolar Bipolar AF podcast. We're also on Instagram with that title. Check us out online at uh, the Bipolar AF podcast.com or Bipolar AF podcast.com. Um, you can also, if you're interested in telling your story, I know that you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to like give your name or anything, identify, you can always change everything. 
Um, it's pretty easy. You just can reach out. We can work with you on anything. Uh, you can email Sabrina directly at Sabrina at the bipolar AF podcast.com. And I think that's it. Yeah.